The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week for episode 295 of our program. We are just inching closer and closer, crawling through the desert toward episode 300 how very exciting for us and so excited to have you here what a great show we're gonna have let me go ahead and bring lauren in lauren how you doing how is it going hi ryan how you doing hi everybody I'm doing so great. I am so happy to have you here. I'm so excited for the show that we have ahead of us. Today is a wonderful day, Lauren. It is. And we have a wonderful guest, which makes it super wonderful. Oh, we do. We do. All right. Let's first talk about that. Our guest coming up after the break, singer, songwriter, folk pop singer, songwriter, Susie Brown. In addition, Lauren, to being a fantastic folk pop singer songwriter, has put out a ton of albums, great music, really, really great stuff, critically acclaimed. She is also an accomplished cardiologist, a licensed physician. Now, you and I, Lauren, we are the children of a of a doctor. We know how demanding this profession is. I can't imagine somebody being able to dedicate themselves to medicine and music and be great at both of them. I don't know how she balances them. And somebody who can go through that much training and education and then downplay that part of her life. She's like, oh, yeah, and then I'm part-time, you know, save people's lives. Whatever. when (laughs) When I'm not excelling at music, one of the most difficult things that human beings can possibly do, I also save lives and fix people's hearts for a living. This is this has to be an incredible conversation. So I'm excited to talk to her in the next segment. I think she's going to play a song for us as well in the next segment. I'm excited for that. However, to let everybody peek behind the curtain here. I don't think we've sound checked her. So we're going to see how this goes. Uh, We haven't. um, So like we, we haven't sound checked her. Right. So we're just going to like cross our fingers. Hope for the best. That's all right. At least this isn't going out on Sirius XM or anything. Yeah, you know, only on Mondays. That's right. Okay. Well, I'm sure it's going to be great. Don't go anywhere. In the meantime, in addition to having Susie Brown join us in the next segment, which already is enough to make it a wonderful day, it is also a very special holiday. Lauren, do you know what today is? It's a holiday? It is. It, I we, would, had, I would, we had one this week. We had two this week already. We had a... Uh, we had Labor Day and Rosh Hashanah, right? Great holidays, not discounting any of them. They are fantastic. But this holiday, I can assure you, is one that they celebrate well into the future. Perhaps, I can guarantee you it will be celebrated at least into the 24th century. All right. I'm and that getting. holiday is Star Trek Day. <laughs> yeah. Of course it is. Happy Star Trek Day, oh everybody. This this isn't doing much for the radio listeners, but the... the you uh, are the officially sitting in the... Is that the Enterprise? That is the bridge of the Enterprise D. Oh my gosh, the, there's more than one? Is there... Is, is, is there more than one? There are, there are quite a there's few four? Enterprises. Well, I mean, actually, there, I believe, are six because there's the Enterprise, like the actual, like the main one that Captain Kirk flew on. Uh-huh. Then you had the Enterprise A, B, C, D, and which is the, the one that you're looking at with me on right now. I'm on the bridge of the Enterprise D. This is the one that Captain Picard and First Officer Riker and the whole next generation crew were on. But okay. they were but uh, there was also the Enterprise E, which came after the uh, Enterprise D because they crashed the Enterprise D in Star Trek Generations. They needed a new Enterprise. And I've lost everybody. Are but they it's Star design Trek wise, design wise, they're the same. No, no. Are they? The, are they the same? Are they? 
Starfleet put all kinds of new bells and whistles in the Enterprise E, I'll have you know, Lord. But oh. the Enterprise D is my favorite, which is why I'm currently sitting aboard it here on Star Trek Day. 55 years ago today, on September 8th, 1966, Star Trek, the original series, debuted on NBC. And now here we are today, and Star Trek is a beloved franchise. I think at this moment right now, we have, what, one, two, three separate Star Trek series uh, currently running, maybe more, because we have Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, which is my favorite, Star Trek Lower Decks, a delightful animated series. Uh, Have you seen all of these? Have I? Have I? Have I seen all of these? Outrageous! The scurrilous! To to suggest that I have not voraciously consumed these properties. Yes, I've seen Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Lower Decks and Star Trek Short Treks and all the Treks. They're all wonderful in their own delightful way. And this is a wonderful day. Okay, 55 years ago, Star Trek started. You and I grew up with our parents watching Next Generation with us. Yes. So I remember Next Gen because, you know, they had their own little beam-ups and we had, like, those visor things that you had to, like, look through. Um, <laughs> Are you talking Jordy LaForge's <laughs> visor? Yeah, that that thing. We had, like, one of those in he plastic. You can see it in infrared, Lauren. <laughs> and so, like, I have visual memories of that kind of stuff happening. Um, which is so I'm pretty sure I, I asked you if it was the Enterprise because that would be the only ship I know the name of. <laughs> what about Voyager? Star Trek Voyager? That was like around in the 2000s. But that had a different ship? Or was that? Yes, the ship was, was called, called Voyager. Voyager. Okay. They weren't like on a voyage on the Enterprise now? Okay. <laughs> no, no. Voyager was in the Delta Quadrant in deep space. I. Don't don't get me into a Star Trek rabbit hole. I'm going to alienate our entertainment law consuming audience right now. And, I, and I'm trying to stay focused, but it is Star Trek Day. So and we'll come back on May the 4th when, when I know what's going on on the day, right? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Not <laughs> look, don't get get look. I, I got no problem with Star Wars. I don't want to attract a beef with the Star Wars fans right now. Right? But this is my day. This is my day. We're not doing Star Wars today. We are trekking today. And it is a golden age for Star Trek. We got all kinds second. of great shows. What's this? I'm not alone. Okay. okay. Janine has not seen Star Trek either. Oh, we have. So we have a commenter. Uh, Jean writes, funnily enough, I've never seen Star Trek, but everyone always references Jean-Luc Picard whenever I mention that I drink Earl Grey tea. Yes, that was Captain Picard's drink on Star Trek Next Generation. It was Earl Grey hot. That was his drink of choice. And God, I love Star Trek. I love I love this day so much. I I, I have but few passions in my life. One is empowering indie creators Two is Star Trek. And then, you know, my family is somewhere in there, too. But it's uh, it's a beautiful day. So in honor of Star Trek Day, I'm going to keep my Enterprise green screen background up for the entirety of the first segment. But I promise for the Star Trek haters out there, we'll revert back to our original artwork. Are there Star Trek haters? Like, I mean, there's Star Trek unknowns. But do people who know it, like, actively hate it? See, here's the thing. In the last 20 years or so, with the rise of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the popularity of Star Wars and things like that, it's cool to be a nerd now. Right. But I'm old enough to remember a time when you enjoyed things like Star Trek at your own peril because we associate Star Trek fans with like shut ins who live in their parents basement and like, you know, are completely antisocial and all those things. And all those things are true, especially of me. But, you know, now it's cool to like nerdy stuff. And okay. today's Trek fans don't realize that, you know, we walked so they could run. Oh, yeah. That's all I'm saying. I just remember that, like, they made, sorry, they made the beam me up thing by, like, swirling glitter and water in a cup. Like, that's the effect. That's how, the, that's how they made the beam up? I didn't even know that. Yeah, so, of course, I don't know what happens in the show, but I'll tell you fun facts about how they made something that looks cool. That, that is fascinating. All right. Uh, excited. A- anybody who wants to talk to me about Star Trek anytime, follow me on Twitter. I will get into Star Trek rabbit holes with you. But, Lauren, before we bring in Susie Brown and go to the break here, I had a couple interesting stories I wanted to chat with you about. 
Uh, first was, and this always happens to me, right? I always say, like, I don't know exactly all the topics I'm going to talk about, but then always inevitably the day before or the day of a show, like something comes in my email inbox and then I go, oh, I got to talk about it. And the thing that came in my email inbox this week that we have to talk about, Lauren, was I received a notification that there is a casting call for this minor little television program called The Voice. I don't know if you've heard of it. I think so. I, it's I've you know it's up twice. and coming. Yeah. You know, maybe on one of those obscure networks, you know, obscure cable network. No, it's The Voice. It's yeah. one of the biggest shows around. Millions of people watch it. And I get casting call notices for it because I get all those stupid notices. And... I always hear artists tell me, like, is this something I should audition for? American Idol, The Voice, The X Factor, America's Got Talent, any of those things. Like, is it worth my time as a creator to be on these shows? And while I can't speak firmly to American Idol or X Factor, I actually do have a little bit of knowledge of the voice process because I've had a couple of clients who have gone through that gauntlet, including one who was a top five finisher on the voice. And so I've had the pleasure, which is probably not the right word. I've had the pain of reading the contracts that they put you to sign when you get to that level on the voice. And so I know what you have to agree to, to be in the top 10 on that show. And I, because I have clients on the voice, I know what your life is like after you've been on that show. And so I I have a little bit of feedback here that I can give for, for people who are considering this. And what I would say is twofold about whether it's worth your time to do the voice. And one is, as you can imagine, the contractual paperwork that you have to sign to be on The Voice sucks. It is <laughs> not what we would call artist-friendly contracts. But And we can talk about why they're not artist-friendly. But beyond that, the bigger issue with The Voice is just the way it's built, it's not built to make you a star. If you are looking for the fast track to stardom by being on this TV show, I can tell you that you will not be a star. Even if you do really well on voice, as, as my clients have, even if you get like you know near the top of that stratosphere, you're most likely not going to be a star coming on one of these network TV shows because they're not built to make stars out of its contestant. The voice is built to make stars out of its judges. Nobody is bigger. Right. right. Nobody on that show is bigger than the show itself, as you noted. And Ariana Grande, Blake Shelton, Gwen Stefani, Adam Levine, whoever, you know, CeeLo Green, the folks that have been on that show. They are those shows are built to make those people stars. They make those people rich. I think Ariana Grande is getting like 20 million or something to be on that show. Those are the people that get made millionaires Mm -hmm. from the voice. It's not the contestants. Right. Because you know, basically the, the only thing that show cares about is creating an interesting narrative and an interesting competition while the show's on the air. Once they do that last show, they could give a damn about you. And I know this because my clients who've been on The Voice and have made it all the way to the final show, The Voice doesn't call you again after it's over. There's no, hey, let's, uh, you know, we built some great momentum with you on The Voice. Let's keep that going. Let's see if we can make a career for you. Nope. They they are done with you. They cast you aside. They're already looking for next season. And that's it. And it's unfortunate, but that's how it's built. And I don't know if it's always been that way, because certainly, Lauren, when you and I were coming of age, American Idol was the big hit, right? Right. And that show, for its faults, at least when it started, it did create legit stars. Kelly Clarkson, Ruben Stoddard, Clay Aiken, Carrie Underwood. These people became... Legit stars in music business still going today, a lot of them. But somewhere along the line, maybe 10 years into these, as these shows started to develop, your American Idols, your The Voices, two things happened. One, the audiences for these shows declined. Not because they're still not the biggest hits on television. I think The Voice is probably still the number one voice on television. But ratings for all TV shows have gone down. Audiences have become more fragmented. Streaming services have risen. And so... Twice as many people were watching Kelly Clarkson win the first season of American Idol as were watching whoever won the last season of The Voice, who I don't even know. And so there's not as many people watching that show, so you're not getting the same audience. So that's the one thing that's happening. And two, these shows have made a conscious decision at some point that the main goal is not to create a lasting property out of their contestants. 
Their main goal is to make their show a massive hit, make their judges, these you know, stars, to help them make their stars rise, and then move on to the next season and a whole new crop of contestants. And so you need to realize they're not here to help make you famous. Right. So I was thinking, just as you're saying this, like it's not their job even to make you famous it's a platform like any other platform would be and if it gets you exposure and that's what your goal is um then it gets you exposure then it would be your job as an artist to figure out how to market that exposure now that you can say you were a contestant on this does that lead to more jobs that you may or may not have had beforehand and then in terms of contracts i i tend to find that you know they're always written in favor of whoever had it written for them, or at least to protect whoever had it written for them, how open was the voice or is the voice to individuals making adaptations? Like, can you have an attorney counter or are they just like, look, we have enough people applying. We don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can tell you this as a lawyer who has reviewed contracts for the voice for clients, I can tell you that my role in that in that transaction is not to make the contract better it's not to negotiate the contract it is to explain to my client the take it or leave it terms of that contract so that they know what they're signing up what for. What they're signing, right. And if that artist does not want to sign that contract, they will find another artist to be in their top 10 right. of that round. And that so that's the that's the breaks of it. But like, let me give you a great example. We'll move into the contracts of the voice here. I'll give you a great example of how little the voice cares about what happens to you after the show is over. Okay. Among the contracts that I've had to review for clients who made it to the top 10 of the voice is a live performance agreement where you as the artist have to agree that if the show wants to, they can take you and the other top 10 contestants on a nationwide tour like you know oh here the top 10 voice finalist tour we're going to travel around the country and you know show you off i remember american idol used to do this back in the day oh yeah so you dancing shows and all that stuff yeah so you as an artist have to agree that if the voice says hey we're going on tour you got to get on the bus yep and so my clients have signed that i've never seen the voice actually activate that option Oh, okay. So they don't even care enough to like want to take you on the tour. That's how much they don't care about the people on that show after the finale. Like they, they want to leave themselves the opportunity to take you on tour, but they never avail themselves of it. Now, he, so here's the, the contracts that you have to sign, because I think a lot of people are wondering, well, Ryan keeps talking about these contracts. What do they say? Basically, as you can imagine, they own you. Right. <laughs> you have to sign a recording agreement, a publishing agreement, a merchandising agreement, a touring agreement, and a 360 agreement where basically the voice gets 30% of everything um, that you earn as an artist uh, while you're signed to all these different contracts. So they own like every Everything you create, music original career. music, not the stuff you do on the show. Like they own, right. do they right. touch any of the content you created before you came on the show if you're using it or performing it? They, if I remember correctly from the publishing agreement, they don't take the stuff that you've written beforehand because it's, it's all the new stuff, but I mean, they take percentages of performance though. Like if you're performing those things that you created beforehand, are they saying, yeah, but because of the exposure you got on the voice, you're selling more tickets to that show. So we're going to claim some of that. If you are, yeah, if you're playing a concert, they're getting a piece of your concert revenue. Right. So all future income they're getting. Is that forever? 30%. Uh, for the term of the record deals. Wow. So it's, it's so Three basically years, you're getting years. like a you're getting a full like they're, they're getting a full what we call in the industry a 360 deal. They're taking every piece of every facet of your career for the time that they own you. And the the terms are very predatory. It's, you know, every single term is in the labels uh, favor. And so that's what you're dealing with as as the lawyer now you don't actually get signed to these deals what you are signing when you before you can do like the top 10 or the top 30 or whatever it is is you are basically giving this organization the option to activate these deals after the show is over the only person on the show who is guaranteed a deal is the person who wins 
if you're if you win, then you're in the deal. I remember um, I, I told when a when a client of mine like got very close to winning but didn't make it. The first phone call I made to them was. This is the best case scenario for you because yeah. you get all the exposure of like making it to the very late rounds on this show, but they don't own your ass because they're most likely not going to pick up the option on your record deal. So you get all the exposure of the voice, but you still get to be a free agent, which is that's great. Best yeah. of both worlds. Yeah. And that's what I told this client. I, I would to me, I would have like I would be like if my client had won, I would have just been despondent. I would have been like, oh, God, that's that's the end of him. I'm so sad. I also sorry to interrupt. I just want to give a shout out to Mary Amber, who is very pet peeved about this and uh, would like to know she could rant on for a while. She's got some really great points going on in the chat if anybody wants to check it out. But uh, yeah, people seem to be very enraged about this because they are artists and they feel like they're not being respected by a machine that is, you know, working because of them. And so, you know, it is what it is. But we as an audience, I think, have to be aware of it, too. If we're giving all of our money and attention to a program that doesn't respect its artists and we're not giving our time and attention and money to the artists themselves, uh, you know, that's something we have to ask ourselves as an audience as well. I think at this point, these music shows, they, they have to stop. They just need to dispense with the fiction of like, we still exist to try to find the next big star. And then like at this point, the, the award for winning the voice should be, here's a big fat check and a trophy. Congratulations. And then, and that's the end of the relationship. The fact that we're still making artists sign deals where you could get locked up into something is, is just perpetuating something that's, that's dangerous. Like, you you don't care about these artists. You care about Ariana Grande. You care about Adam Levine. You care about Blake Shelton. You want to make those people famous. So don't lock these other art, other artists up in careers that you're not interested in promoting anyway. Just give them a big check to congratulate them and move on would be what I would say these yeah, shows should be doing Yeah, that's super interesting. I didn't think about that. Like, what, they're not making enough money on the show itself that they have to take a percentage of, you know, Betty Boo's, uh, you know, music tour. Like, what are they really making off of this? (laughs) That it's worth it to them to make these artists that, you know, beholden to them and that miserable and tied in for something that really are they making that much profit off of it? I mean, we'll put it this way. Can you name any contestant who's been on The Voice? Can you name any of them? Can you name like forget even naming a winner of the voice? Can you name a contestant? Because I can tell you, I can't name I can a contestant. I can see them in my head, but uh, but you, I, but you couldn't pick know. their names out. I'm telling you, I work in this industry. I can't name a contestant on the voice that wasn't one of my clients because and, and that's not that's by design. Right. They the, the shows aren't trying to make these people into personalities. They are just chess pieces. They are they are characters that you that they want you to really care about for the competition portion of the season. And then when the confetti falls on the final contestant, they are they want you thinking about next year. And I that's the that. machine. They're saying it's a, a reality TV show. But in fact, it's a game show that doesn't have a reward. Like they're they're putting you through game show activities and tasks and like, all right, we're going to pair you against each other. And now we're going to see what happens in the battle round. And then like they turn around at the end and they're like, what'd you win? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it would be better if they just were were true to this being a game show. Right. Treat it like a game show. When you win a game show. Like, you know, last week we had JC on the program. He was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. He won some money. And then when the show was over, that was it. He took his money and he's left. Who wants to be a millionaire didn't come out and say, hey, we're going to take a piece of your income for the next 10 years because you were on our show. No, they, yeah. he, you know, he did if well you write in the game a show and then it was over. Or you do anything that shows that you're smart. Uh, we're going to take a piece of that because That's right. <laughs> we made you look smarter than you were. Anytime you demonstrate your intelligence, <laughs> right? We're well, going it's like, to it's take not like they trained these people to sing. It, like these people yeah. had a passion and a career before the show. So you know, it's 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 just weird to me. Yeah. Right on. All right. Before we go to break, I do want to give some time to this listener question, and uh, I don't want to give it short shrift, but I think it's a pretty interesting one. Somebody had asked, "Hey, somebody stole my work. Mm-hmm. What should I do?" 
and you know simple question but with a lot of weight behind it right artists especially now with all these new all these platforms like youtube tiktok stuff's getting stolen all the time people's works are getting snatched and and put up in different things and as an artist you might you know a lot of times artists are fine with that level of appropriation because there's exposure behind it but sometimes an artist has invested a lot in their work and they don't want their work taken and and it's very personal yeah i mean that's that's a piece of them and so what a lot of artists have asked me is like what can i do other than complain about it (laughs) (laughs) and so I'll, i'll go over a few quick steps for that listener because i think it is a great question and uh you know then of course the overarching advice is if that happens call an attorney and you know by the way, I should probably repeat our disclaimer here. Not legal advice, informational, educational purposes only. I am a lawyer. I am not your lawyer. Yet. If you have a legal problem, yet, you know. Hey, <laughs> if you have a legal problem, talk to an attorney. Okay. So the first thing you want to do right now, before your work even gets stolen, register your copyrights. Mm-hmm. You need to register your works. And I mean, really register them with the government. Don't go to some website that says, hey, we'll give you a timestamp for your work. Don't mail your work to yourself. This poor man's copyright nonsense. You actually need to register your works at copyright.gov because there are lots of legal advantages to registration. Though it is not required to register your copyrights to have a copyright, there's a lot of legal advantages to registration. Attorney what are fees. are those advantages? Oh, there you go. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> you get attorney's fees if uh, you win your lawsuit. You get oh, statutory yeah? damages. Yeah. That's covered by the... Who, who does that? The government? Yes. When, <laughs> if you sue... Okay, so let's walk through it, okay? Okay, okay. Somebody steals your work. If you register your copyrights before your works are infringed, here's what you get. One, you have prima facie evidence of your of you owning the work. So if you sue that person, when you go to court, instead of having to actually prove with evidence that you own the work, you just walk up to the judge, you hand them the government registration and that's all you have to do. And now it is on the other side to prove that you don't own the work. So a lot less work for you to uh, prove that you own a copyright because you can't allege infringement until you actually prove you own the work. Next, when you win, you get what are called statutory damages. So normally in the law, you only can get the damages that you can actually prove. You have to prove a dollar value of here's how much I lost, lost profits, pain and suffering, whatever. But in copyright world, if you register your work, you get statutory damages, damages that are specifically listed in the federal law. So you don't have to prove what your exact damage amount was. You just have to say, hey, that's what the law says I get. And now I get it. And those statutory damages can be up to six figures per act of infringement, depending on uh, the nature of the infringement. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So and then also you can get attorney's fees. So uh, the. some the uh, infringer could have to pay your attorney's legal now, bills. Now, is that post like you have to front it and then after you win, you get it back? Or is that something like do they assign you an attorney like they would if you were going to public defense? All great questions. You Yeah, you'd have to hire an attorney okay. to get your copyrights uh, to, to prosecute your case. But you may get awarded attorney's fees if you win, if you have a registered work, and then the other side has to pay reasonable fees that your lawyer incurred in prosecuting your case. Now, can you so, find, sorry to be the oblivious one here, but like uh, if you're trying to find an attorney, can you pose that to them? Are there attorneys that will work uh and not get paid until after the settlement? Will they say, like, I believe in this case enough that you don't have to front me this money. I understand that if and when we win the uh, copyright, uh, you know, ownership, then then I'll take my pay from the settlement and not from you. Generally, in most copyright cases, if you can show that the damages will be big enough, you'll find a lawyer who will work on what's known as contingency, Hmm, meaning that they'll take a piece of your award. Now, you're going to have a much easier time finding a lawyer to take your case if you have a registered copyright because that lawyer knows I can get attorney's fees. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to be much more willing to take your case. It's a much harder case if they can't get fees and now they have to prove actual damages and they have to prove that you actually own the work. 
And so you're running, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to find a lawyer to take your case unless it's a really lucrative one in those circumstances. And it sounds like a very useful um, negotiating tool. Like when you have it, you physically have something you can take to the table when you need to go to a table. Oh, yes. And most infringers will be more interested in infringing an unregistered work than a registered one because they know the unregistered work has fewer uh, weapons, you know, fewer arrows in their quiver. Right. You know, so to speak. So absolutely. Now, in terms of registering your copyright, you can go to copyright.gov. It's a fairly intuitive process for most kinds of works. If you are just don't want to hire a lawyer and you just are are just because you don't want to you can't afford one to register your copyright for you and you don't think you can do it yourself. There's a website called Cosigned at C-O-S-Y-N-D dot com. It's a great web-based platform that can handle copyright registrations. They do a pretty good job. So there's lots of different ways that you can get your registrations here. Let me just go over these real quick before we uh, go to break here and bring in Susie Brown. Mary Amber wants to know what uh, her version would be over in Australia. Oh, in Australia. (laughs) Wow. Um, You know, it's probably, I mean. She said, is there a copyright.gov.au? Anybody know? Most, well, I mean, look. I, I, I'm remiss to give any sort of copyright tips in a country on the other side of the world. That being said, copyright law, you know, there's a lot of international treaties regarding copyright. So a lot of the laws can be pretty similar. But for somebody out in Australia, I would say uh, talk to a lawyer. I have a question for Mary Amber. Well, for you on behalf of Mary Amber, who doesn't even know I'm asking this for you. But if you are an out of country artist that sells their music and uses their music in the United States, is it worth registering a copyright with the U.S. Uh, copyright Office if you are not a U.S. citizen? Is that something you can even do? Um, depending on the circumstances, it can be. Again, there are international treaties that are out there. So when you register in one country like the U.S., you can get protection in other countries. And but, uh, you know, if you are a if you are a big, big star and your work has significant international presence, you're definitely going to want to ha- uh, bring on an attorney to look at your specific copyright situation and make sure that you have full international protection. I do want to just quickly go over these last couple points before we go to break here, because assuming that your work is registered, you now have to figure out what your options are to protect your work if somebody steals it. So in terms of early steps, gently contacting the infringer, uh, letting them know politely what's going on. In many cases, the person doesn't know that they're breaking, you're violating your rights, and they'll usually take it down. You can have a lawyer send a cease and desist letter, uh, which can often get the job done. If the person has posted your work onto a platform like a YouTube or a Facebook or a TikTok or any of these third-party platforms, you can file what's called a DMCA takedown notice where you can reach out to that platform and you can have them take down the work if you can prove to them that you own the work. And by law, that platform has to take your work down if it's being used in an unauthorized manner or that platform can be held liable for the infringement as well and you can imagine wow. that Facebook and YouTube do not want that smoke. So they're generally going to uh, uh, want to take care of that. If all that fails, your last option is to literally make a federal case out of it. You would definitely need a lawyer here. You take this person to federal court. Copyright is a federal jurisdiction claim. So you got to take it to U.S. federal court. But starting in December there will be a potential other option. There is this uh, new body that's been created by a law called the CASE Act called the Copyright Claims Board. This is going to be a administrative panel within the Copyright Office that can hear small claims copyright cases of up to $30,000 in damages. It's a voluntary forum, so both sides have to agree to let the Copyright Claims Board hear the case. There are no appeals. It's, it can be done virtually, so you can have Zoom court. And the idea is that Congress tried to, wanted to try to create a, a faster forum to get smaller claims copyright works, uh, copyright claims done. I wish I had more information about that, but unfortunately, none of us lawyers know what this law is going to be like yet because we're all still waiting to see what it looks like when it comes out. But as we get closer to December, we're going to get more information about the Copyright Claims Board, and we're going to see if this is a real option for creators to uh, vindicate their rights. all that information on to you, our listeners. (laughs) Exactly right. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, we should. Uh, not that I don't want to chat with you forever, but we do have Susie waiting backstage, and I would love for our audience to meet her if we could uh, wrap that up. We are going to uh, bring her on. But that, that being said, look. In addition to being an artist, a, a musician, as we also noted, Susie Brown is also a doctor, and doctors always keep us waiting, right? So you know, feel like she, fair game. Are you taking that's revenge right, on her? You know, she's not even your doctor, and you're taking it out on her. The poor thing. I know, and 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 she's a cardiologist too, so she's doing really important work. Um, goodness so gracious. <laughs> All right, we're going to go to break, and then we'll have uh, Susie Brown coming up next here on Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Carella, PA, Miami, Florida. Hey, Susie. How are you doing? How are you? I'm so excited to meet you. I've been uh, reading your bios and listening to your music all day. I even started watching Schitt's Creek just because of you. Like, I didn't even have any idea. Then I was like, all right, let me find out what this is all about. Oh, yeah, you're going to have to tell me all about that. Um, But first, can you tell us a little bit about your music and what you do other than save people's lives? Um, It's always hard to describe your own music. But if I had to, I would say I'm a folk Americana artist. I write songs and I play guitar and I sing. And we get to hear some of that in a little bit, don't we? Yeah, sure. What song are you going to be doing for us? It's uh, it's from your new album. You have a new album coming out? Yes. Yep. This is my seventh studio album, which wow. I made um, quarantine style, like many artists did over the last year and a half. Um, and this is a single that we released earlier this year called Another New Normal. Hmm. I was listening to that this morning. So... When did you start doing these pandemic things and how did you go about recording during the pandemic? Were you virtually bringing in artists or how did that all work? Hey, I'm back. (laughs) Hey, Ryan, I brought Susie in so she could hang out and chat with me and meet everybody. Thank you so much, Lauren. My my apologies, Susie. Thank you so much for hanging with us there. My computer decided right in the middle of a stream to just completely crash on me. And I I am actually trying to get all of my materials back up here on the fly. Wow. And uh, this is on live radio, too. So that's got to be fun. Um, Why not? So, Susie, it is a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you so much for being on. What did I miss? Uh, So just to catch you up a little bit, she gave us a little bit about her music and let us know that she was going to be um, performing for us a little later. She also was talking about, uh, oh, I was going to say it wrong. It's not a new normal. It's a... Another new normal. Another new normal. Mm -hmm. We've heard a lot of them, but this is another one. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing that. Uh, I forgot what else we had talked about. She was going to tell me me how she did it during the pandemic and how she actually, because she said she just made this album during the pandemic. So I'm interested in hearing, you know, how you got musicians together. Were you in the same room? Did you do it remotely? Yeah, well, I um, I wrote a whole bunch of songs alone, you know, in between homeschooling my kids, homeschooling in quotes, because it was such a joke. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, it was just a really stressful time. And I felt very far away from my music career, per se. I just wrote the songs to kind of process what was happening. Um, but as... I don't know, as I sort of processed more and started to come up for air and particularly after I got vaccinated, I felt just the floor coming and rising underneath my feet again. Um, I reached out to my the producer from my last album, Billy Harvey, and we just sort of casually started recording the songs in his home studio, which is less than a mile from my house. Um, Billy had actually had COVID like sort of recently before when we started. So between me being vaccinated, I got vaccinated my first shot in December because 
I'm a doctor. So by that, by the time, like I was vaccinated, he had just had COVID. So we felt like it was a pretty safe time to be in a room together. We still stayed 15 feet apart and kept masks on except when I was singing, but it was just the two of us. And um, I didn't even really know what I was going to do with it because I felt so far away from like promoting myself in any way. I just wanted to kind of record these songs. Um, and it was a really fun process because all my other albums have been in a real, a real studio setting where you're paying by the hour. And um, like, for example, my last album we made in three days at Sound Emporium Studios in Nashville. So it was like kamikaze album making. Um, whereas this was, let's just throw paint against the wall and see what we like. And let's try this. No, that's terrible. Let's try this. Wow, that's <laughs> awesome. You know, and um, it was casual and fun and low pressure because I really had no agenda in terms of when I wanted to release it. And um, Billy played, I played some guitar. Billy played guitar and bass. We both did all the background vocals. And then we sent keep, we sent all the track, well, some of the tracks to a keyboard player that we love who lives in New Jersey. And he just did it at home and sent them back to us. Mm -hmm. um, and then as things went on and more and more people were vaccinated, we did one day with a drummer in the studio and had him put drums down um, after the fact um, on the tracks. And that was it. So it was mostly just me and Billy in, in his home studio and then, you know, piecing it together from there. We also added strings virtually, like, you know, remotely. How healing was that process? Like being able to do that E again after distance and, uh, and B the just whole, having a, a platform to get out everything you were going through. It was the only thing that healed me during that time. I mean, I just felt like I was so depleted between my work at the hospital and having two young kids at home. I had nothing left to give. I was just at rock bottom it was i have a seven i guess they were four and six you know when this all started and it was just a really challenging age to have kids at home um and my house isn't big enough for me to have any real like personal space i also have an artistic and very kind of loud and boisterous husband so um between my quote unquote three children, I just felt like I had no peace, you know, nothing for me. And then, you know, hospital work was really stressful, as you can imagine, especially before I was vaccinated. I just felt like here I am not seeing anyone, not going out, not being within six feet of anyone. And then I go to work and I'm around like hundreds of people inside, you know, mm -hmm. And, you know, there were outbreaks and especially in December, January, it was just scary. It was just scary to be there. I'm glad you brought that up because the the two professions that I hear the most about from in terms of how the pandemic has affected them, one is musicians because that's the those are the folks I'm around the most mm -hmm. in my own work. And the other are doctors because we're obviously all listening to doctors and, and hearing their perspectives. And so it's really powerful to hear from somebody like you who can give us both sides of what yeah. COVID means to you, both yeah. as a musician and as a physician. Yeah. I mean, I'm lucky in one sense in that I don't make most of my money through music or I don't have to make money through music to pay my mortgage um, or buy groceries. So I was protected in that way as compared to other musicians. Um, but it was at a great emotional and psychological cost, you know, to earn that paycheck. Now, talking about that, you know, how do you balance all of those things like raising children and saving people's lives in a time when you're terrified for your own life going to work and creating something that you can share with the world? Like those are all very drastically different things. How do you balance all of that? I don't know the answer to that. I, well, <laughs> Part of, part of it is I do work half time. So my schedule at the hospital is that I work full time for two weeks and then I'm off for two weeks. Um, the other thing is that I have had help um, with childcare. My, my youngest started kindergarten this year. So for the first time, both girls are in school from eight to three. So I actually do have protected time now, just newly, you know, as of a, week, a couple of weeks ago, um, 
that I don't have to pay for so that I can kind of do my own thing for a few hours during the day. Um, but before we've had nannies, um, basically we've had nannies. That's the only way that I've been able to have any time for myself at all. During the we pandemic? We did have our nanny. Um, we kept our nanny during the pandemic. She's just amazing. And she's not our nanny anymore, but she, uh, cause she's moving, but, um, but she's just very trustworthy and we just, literally would have lost our minds without her so we we kept her i'm just still blown away by the by a person who can excel in both of these professions because i'm intimately familiar with the demands that are placed upon musicians and how that is incredibly rigorous and incredibly difficult and lauren and i we are both the children of a doctor Mm -hmm. And so we know how demanding that life is and how much of a calling and how much of a commitment medicine can be. So to me, I, I just and, and, and you know, obviously I, I'm saying this with some amount of disbelief. I don't know how one can excel at both. And I mean, is it, is it that they kind of both feed into each other? <laughs> like, like, like one, like, like music makes you a better doctor and vice I do versa. I think they feed off each other. I mean, I will say I come by both. Honestly, um, my parents are both doctors and my older sister's a doctor. Um, so you, my uncle's a doctor, so you could say it's the family business. Um, but there's also <laughs> a lot of music in my family. My grandfather was a professional violinist, um, my dad was in a folk trio in Montreal in the 60s. Um, so I do have both music and medicine in my blood. And I never expected to have this life in a billion, billion <laughs> years. I mean, this I didn't plan this. Um, it's just that I, on, I had kind of these parallel lives where I always loved music to like a strange a strange degree compared to other people I knew like music just moved me. Like I remember being a kid playing the radio and when like angel in the morning came on that juice Newton song, I just oh, yeah. I had no idea what it meant, you know, at that age, but I just remember like having chest pain. Like I just could feel that so strongly. And I remember feeling like Carol King so far away. Oh, I remember just feeling that music so strongly. Um, and I loved to sing and I would like obsessively tape, you know, cause back then it was like your, you had a tape player and the radio and you could like tape off the radio. So I would like tape the top 40 off the radio and I had my record player and it was just my whole world. Um, but at the same time, my parents were both doctors. I was always good at math and science and I'm definitely a people person. And I don't think I ever even thought it was possible to be a professional musician for someone like me. I mean, it sounds strange, but it seemed much more likely for me to be able to be a doctor than to be able to be a musician. I mean, that seemed like pure magic to me. Um, <laughs> so I just went on as if I was going to be a doctor. And um, and I never really sang outside my bedroom. Um, and... Um, and then in college, my last year of college on a complete whim, at the last minute, I was studying for a physics test in the physics library, and I got an email that there was tryouts for this acapella group starting in 15 minutes. And it was grad school big, acapella groups. That's how they get yeah, you. This was undergrad. Yeah. But oh, it yeah. was like super impulsive. I left all my books in the library and I went and tried out for this group. And so my senior year in college, I tried, I sang with this acapella group called the Dartmouth Rockapellas. And it was like this, like mind blown. These are my people. Now I know why I never fit in, be felt like I never fit in before. You know, I've just felt the sense of belonging and just, it was life changing. But that was my last year of college. I was pre-med. I had already, you know, had these plans to take two years off and work in a lab and then apply to medical school. But I was just desperate to find a way to keep singing. Um, so I bought a guitar after college and taught myself how to play. Um, and then... Um, so pursuing music as, as a calling, as kind of a, at least a part-time profession... It kind of came later in your life, like this much later, you know, much you, you, later. Yeah. So all throughout med school, med school my training, I just kind of fitted in when I could. I was in like a production of Hair, and I was in a Shameless cover band, and I found friends to play with. But I didn't write my first song till I was thirty-four. Wow. Yeah. 
I mean, and and now you have several albums. You've been on, you know, seven, yep. cr- critically acclaimed. That's wow, what an incredible story. And and, and while that goes to I will, all the artists out there too, like it's never too late. That's not, wonderful. Yeah. And look, don't get me wrong. All right, we're not going to find too many other singer-songwriter cardiologists out there that we can, you know, call upon to get their thoughts on this. But what we do have a lot of listening to this show right now are artists who are balancing something. Yeah. Right. It's it yeah. might not be medicine, but it yeah. might be family. It might be another yeah. career obligation. It might be school. Sure. And I would imagine that your life experience, your professional experience has perhaps given you some lessons on just balancing in general mm-hmm. are there any are there any overarching lessons that you could convey to those musicians out there on just how to find balance between art and whatever other thing they're doing absolutely one really important thing i've learned is that balance looks different on different days <laughs> there are sometimes when my kids just need me like my oldest daughter is really anxious and the going back to school was rough and she needed me so i wasn't playing a lot of music those first few weeks of school i was there for her because that was the most important for thing for me to be doing at that moment but you know when i was like cutting this album i was gone from the house from six to ten every night because that was the only time i had to make the album and that's what i was going to do so i missed bedtime every night for weeks um because that was the priority then and sometimes i'm working in the icu at the hospital and i'm up at 5 30 every day and there isn't really time for anything else um and so i think you just have to ask yourself what's most important for me right now and turn your attention towards that knowing that it's not forever and you'll have time to do the other thing you know as the season changes you know wow i I think that's amazing i don't I don't know about you. I would love to hear some of the stuff that you've created. I mean, are you, I mean, other than the stuff I've listened to there, like, are you open to playing something for us now? Yes, of course. Yes. I have my guitar. Let me just. I like that Mary Amber, in case you don't see this here, Mary Amber thinks you're a Wonder Woman. (laughs) And I happen to agree with her. I, you know. And I have plenty of crazies, you know, I'm like, I mean, it's hard to do different things because I, I battle with feeling like I'm not doing anything well enough. Um, guilt at like, you know, not I have long hours when I'm working and feeling bad when I'm missing stuff for my kids. Um, and then working half time and feeling like people, this is all in my head, but people won't take me seriously because I'm part time and I'm a musician, you know, um, and feeling guilty when I just kind of set limits and say, no, I can't come to that meeting. I'm not in the hospital that week. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hard to say. Um, and then the rub as a musician is that I don't play as many shows as other people. I don't have time to promote myself as much. Um, and so there's all that feeling of missed opportunities and how much better could I be if I had more time and how much further along, quote unquote, whatever that means, could I be? Um, so I have plenty of demons around mm-hmm. it just to be real, you know? (laughs) Well, and it's the fact that you can find a way to manage them again, tells people that whatever it is that they're dealing with, you know, find a way you you can only do what you can do. And it sounds to me like you're taking the time for yourself and whether or not the world sees that as the right thing, you seem to have a pretty clear view of at any given moment, what's important to you. And though that may change, you know, that's a, that's a valuable tool. For me, I'm super clear that my family's first. There's nothing more important to me than my husband and kids. I mean, so they come before everything. I'm super clear on that. Um, And I'm willing to sacrifice success in music and success at the hospital any day of the week for that. Um, That's Well, we'll send our love to them, too. Yeah, they're Uh. the best. (laughs) So can you tell us about uh, the song that you're going to be playing? Yeah, so this is a song that I released earlier this year called Another New Normal. Um, I wrote it in April of the pandemic, um, so just really a month in. Um, and I remember I had like made up this <laughs> just like ridiculous pretend school schedule for my my four year old who was in was would have been in pre K and my six year old who um, was finishing kindergarten I guess um, or finishing first finishing first grade I don't know I'm so confused um, no finishing kindergarten. Um, 
and so it was mostly just structured play with a little bit of whatever. But I had um, some activities that would allow me to leave the room for a minute. And I just like walked into my bedroom and started strumming. And I just was having this feeling like, you know what? Everyone's throwing around this term new normal, new normal. This is our new normal. And yes, it was a pretty big new normal. But like how many other big seismic changes have we all had in our lives that we've had to adjust to? And how many more are we still going to have in the future? You know, so in some ways, yes, like it was pretty dramatic. But in some ways, it's just another new normal. And we're going to all adjust and we'll have more new normals to adjust to in the future. Um, so I wrote this song um, during, you know, like stolen moments. All right, um, the floor is yours. Take it away. Yeah. All right. Praying type lately, I've been praying to whatever's in the sky. I ain't the changing type, but times they keep on changing. I'm always a step behind. I've been trying. Get used to a new normal Feels like I always am Just when I can Get used to a new normal Everything changes all over again It's just another new Outstanding. You can find out more about our guests' work by visiting SusieBrownSongs.com. Susie, that was wonderful. Thank you so much Thank for playing you. that for us. You're welcome. Oh, that, uh, what, a, what a fantastic piece of work. I felt like we were hearing a, a doctor's characterization of the pandemic and a musician's <laughs> characterization of the pandemic. And a human's, you know? And a hu- just, <laughs> what, what, what an incredible piece of work. Thank you so much, Susie. Thank Before you. we let you go, because we are up against it, but I, I want to make sure we get this last question from you. Yeah. It's the same question we ask every guest on the program. Okay. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Stop worrying about success and just make art and the rest will follow. Just make the best art you can and put it out there. Love that. 
Bravo. Just keep making stuff. Just keep making art. I mean, every time I feel lost, it's when I'm too caught up in quote unquote success. And every time I feel found is when I'm just making the best art I can. And I feel like I'm growing as an artist and, and, and speaking the truth, you know, speaking my truth. If I'm growing and speaking my truth, then I'm winning. Well, thank you for helping us make stuff this week, Susie. It's been a real pleasure meeting you and talking with you. Be sure to stick around for our guest next week, singer-songwriter Angela Soph, one of my favorite Break the Business. Oh, I know her. You know, of course. Yes. Well, then you have to tune in and say hi. There you go. You know, if you want, you can just even you can you can click the link next week. If you just want to stop by and say hi to Angela, we'd love to That's have you again. That's so funny. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Susie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much thank for being on so the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And thank you all for checking out Break the Business. We will see you next week. Mm-hmm.